Uh, you can tell that uh, we love being here. We love this place and, and we love this family. And we know that uh, the Hedge Course have, have loved this body for, for many years. We'll continue to do so. And hopefully you're able to see that we, we love you guys too. And we thank you for the service that you have given. East Brainerd has been blessed for, for so many years with so many wonderful leaders who have come through that God has, has raised up at, at, just the right, at just the right time. And, and we stand on the shoulders of those who have come before us and, and those who have bended a knee before God before we were ever here praying for this body. And, and we have so many who we are indebted to through the years. One of those is, is here uh, with us today. I've been told that Brother Dave is back here with us today. Day. Is that right? Yes. Brother Dave, where are you, my friend? Is he here? Was I lying? There he is. There's Brother Dave. Dave Meller and Miss Susan, uh, they were here for 13 or 14 years. Uh, Brother Dave on staff here as a preacher here for East Brainerd. And over the last few years, they've been serving with health talents. They have been traveling to Guatemala on a regular basis. And they have been ministering to the people there and to the medical teams that go down to uh, perform special surgeries. And so, uh, we are constantly still in prayer for them. Uh, we still consider them a part of our East Brainerd family. And so, it was great. I got a text message that said, hey, Brother Dave's hiding in here somewhere. So, thanks for letting it be known, Brother Dave. And we are so grateful that you're here worshiping with us. Hey, it's nice to be back. Last week, uh, Sean Coley was uh, gracious enough to uh, fill in for the teaching portion during our worship, and I'm grateful for him doing that as my family and I were away on vacation. And don't forget that uh, today, in just a little bit, around one o'clock or so, we're going to be uh, welcoming them in East Brainerd, welcoming them to marriage, to their marriage life, uh, and then also here as a part of our ministry staff. And so we hope that you will be able to come and participate in that. If you're new to our Life Squared series, let me catch you up uh, just real quickly on some of the things that we have already talked about. We said we have been made by and made for God, and that is huge because when it comes to understanding life, we need to go directly to the source. Jesus would come and say, I am, I'm here and I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And, and he had to say that and he had to come because there was... There was a shadow that was in front of our eyes. We could no longer see how it was that we were created to be. Sin had come and because of its destructive nature, we no longer understood exactly what life was meant to be and who we were meant to be. And so Jesus comes from God himself and says, listen, I have come to remind you and to restore to you what has been taken away. You were made my God and you were made for God. And we've said that God wants our soul to be well. We sing the song, it is well with my soul, but oftentimes we don't live that kind of life. God desires for our soul to be well, for there to be a, a healthiness within us. Oftentimes you can see the wellness of our soul by the, the choices that we make and the, the attitude of our, of our hearts. God says, I want your soul to be well. I want, it, I want your soul to be well. And we said that because of that, our soul is, is its healthiest when it's at home. Remember, we, we looked at, at Genesis. We looked at the very beginning when God breathed very, his very breath into mankind. We said that is when the soul is most alive. We, when we understand where we have come from and why we were created. And finally, the last time that I was with you, we said that our souls just need rest. 
in order to be the people that God intended for us to be, in order for us to live the life that God wants us to live, our souls need to be rested. But let's just be honest. There's a lot of us that are just exhausted, right? I mean, we are. We use words like exhausted and overwhelmed and overscheduled. We talk about being anxious and worried, isolated and defeated. That's why so many of us can't wait until summertime because of the vacations that come and the way in which we get to get away. It's a bipartisan issue. It doesn't matter if you're young or if you're old, if you're a professional, if you're parents, if you're rich or poor, women or men, Republicans or Democrats. We all agree on this. We're tired. And it's not just our body that's tired. Our souls are tired. We're just tired. And we talk about things like simplifying and creating margin in our lives, but it's just not something that we are really designed, it seems like, to do. And when I talk about the idea of simplifying, I'm not just saying that we go around saying we need to be doing less. I think I think God really does want us to simplify and God wants us to slow down and, and God wants us to be able to take stock of things that are going on in our lives. And it's because when we simplify in God's terms, it's being who God called us to be, where we are wholehearted and single-minded and focused. It's walking away from the innumerable lesser opportunities in favor of the few things that God has called us saying, this is what I want you to spend your time doing. We read earlier from Ephesians where we were reminded that we're given life in Christ and God has, God has said that we are his workmanship, we are his artistic creation, we are his poem. He has written his very being onto our soul and he created us so that we might be able to do good works. But just be honest, most of the time we get home and we're worn out. Most of the time, whenever the weekend comes, we can't wait to relax. We want to run. We want to hide. We want to get away. So many responsibilities, so many things that we are invested in, so many time allotments. And it just seems like we don't know what normal is anymore. In fact, if we don't change the way that we live, our overcomplicated world begins to feel frighteningly normal. Now, occasionally we have those remembrances as if there were us at another time and another place when we were calmer, when we were more focused, when life was more fulfilling. But just as quick as that moment is here, it's gone again. And it's as if it was a dream of some sort. We become accustomed to our current existence and we no longer discriminate between the things that are important and the things that are unessential. And we end up then going through life day after day, doing things that don't really matter, and we sacrifice the things that do. And the whole point of going through this series is to just ask and try to answer the question, what if your life could be different? What if when Jesus came and said, I've come that you might have life, you hear that and say, yes, I want that. I want something more than just the existence that I currently have. What if the life that you're having is not the life that God meant for you to have? No matter how good you think it is, no matter how strong your marriage is, no matter how focused you feel your heart is, what if you could be certain that simplifying was more than just going through your closets and cleaning out your desk drawer, what if you could be certain that simplifying was uncluttering your soul? Would you be willing to do that? 
is not the easiest journey to take. There are no, there are no shortcuts to, to this kind of life that God offers. We've already studied and found that true life is only found in God. It's only found with His breath. We're living on that borrowed breath as He has breathed life into us. And if you are here this morning saying, I want a different life and I want to live differently, it has to start with God. There is no five-step program you can get into. It must begin by going back to the one who created you. But it's not an easy journey. It's kind of like trying to get from here to Orlando. You have to go through Atlanta. How many of you would actually go to Orlando more often if you didn't have to go through Atlanta? Let's just be honest. I mean, right? I mean, some of you, when you think about vacation, the kids bring up and say, hey, let's go to Universal or let's go to Disney. And you say, uh, did we got to go to, through Atlanta to get there? And they say, yeah. We're like, sorry, we're going a different direction. Right? You would go anywhere than have to go through Atlanta, right? And in fact, this is probably how you feel. This is how we felt this week. Now you say, oh, I know what that is. That's the rock and roller coaster. No, that's us going through Atlanta. That's what that is right there. Yeah. I mean, we, we just pulled over. We got in a totally different kind of car. We strapped in and we just closed our eyes and said, Lord, you take the wheel. And that is what took place. But you know, you do things like that. You go through Atlanta because you know that the destination is worth the journey. And I want to encourage you this morning that if you look at your marriage, if you look at your life, if you look at where you are in your job, where you are when it comes to just you trying to figure out these teenage years, your retirement years, and you say, you know what, it just seems like something's missing, but I've done this for so long. I'm 70 years old, I don't have time to learn a new life. I'm 13 and I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. The destination is worth the journey to listen to the words of God. To listen to Christ as he has said, listen, I know the life you are living, but I have come so that you might have it and have it to the full. So let's consider something about this life squared this morning. I want you to look at scripture, Luke chapter 10, if you want to go ahead and open your Bible there. You know, of all the people that Jesus interacted with during his three-year teaching ministry, scripture records there's only one person that he he kind of refocused and redirected in the area of just utter simplicity. Of all the many followers Jesus chose, only a handful would be in his inner circle. There were three disciples, Peter, James, and John, but there were also, there were also three others that didn't just walk around and travel from town to town with Jesus. Instead, they lived on the outskirts of Jerusalem in a town called Bethany. There were Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And every once in a while, Jesus would just drop in like Brother Dave's doing today and enjoy the hospitality that this family would offer and catch up on things that had been going on and, and use it as a time to replenish his own soul. Luke chapter 10. Why don't you read along with me as we let the story unfold. Verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary said, the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, 
You were worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha had not had time to prepare for the drop-in company. These are the kind of visits that all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and you look out the shades and tell all the kids, be quiet and act like nobody's home. Maybe they'll leave. And then they'll call and you can say, you know, we hate that we missed you. You just must have missed us just by a few minutes. But Jesus felt comfortable just standing there knocking. He didn't mind dropping in. He didn't mind coming in uninvited. Martha says, come on in. I'll welcome you here. And she hurries to prepare everything. She starts to lift up all the rugs and she starts to remove all the things that looks like life has taken place in their little hamlet. Because that's what we do, right? We want to make our houses look like nobody lives there when the company comes to visit. But Mary pulls up a chair. You can imagine her sitting there listening as Jesus is talking about lessons he has presented at different places. And she's asking, how's your ministry going? Tell us the story that you told in Capernaum. Tell us about the newest disciples. Hey, remember, what you share in Bethany stays in Bethany. And she's just soaking it all in, taking it all in. All the while, Martha is in the kitchen and she's rattling the pots and pans. She's doing her best to play hostess. She's doing their best to do what was expected of her. And during that time, in that culture, she wasn't trying to be rude. In fact, it was totally the opposite. She was trying to show how much she cared for Jesus, for, for his friends, and she wanted to make everything right. But eventually, it just builds up that she's doing all the work and her sister is doing nothing. And so she just snaps. And maybe she just went and gave Mary the old stink eye, you know? Maybe that's how it started. But Mary didn't get the hint. And so she begins to walk through the room and and talk about, my, my, there's so many of you here. It would be great if, if maybe I had a little extra help. Things are getting so busy back in the kitchen, and Mary just wasn't taking any of it. She was listening to everything that was coming out of the mouth of Jesus and ignoring the words from her sister. So finally, Martha storms into the room, but she doesn't go to her sister. Instead, she goes to Jesus, <laughs> and she goes to the company and says, hey, don't you care? Don't you care? And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. You know you're in trouble when he says your name twice, by the way. In my translation, Martha, Martha just means take a breath. Just breathe. You know, maybe some of you need to do that this morning. Here you go, on the count of three, I just want everybody to breathe deep for a minute, okay? One, two, three, ready? Just take a breath. Just breathe. Jesus makes a gentle observation. You are worried and upset about many things. And he's not talking to Martha here, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. You have come here today worried and upset about many things. You're overwhelmed. You're overscheduled. You're exhausted. Your mind is going in all kinds of directions. 
It's hard to focus. And just like for Martha, he invites you today to put down your spoon and take a, take a deep breath or two. Just breathe. You understand that's why we share communion together, right? You understand that's one of the reasons that we have that reminder that's wrapped around our finger whenever we, we come together here as a church body each Sunday morning and we, we pass those trays. It's not just so that we can check something off. It's, it's not so that we can take bread and cup, but it's so that we can breathe in the strength of God. It's so that we can relax. It's so that we can lay down the burdens of our heart. See, communion is for us. It is not for the Lord. It's for you. It's for the person that's sitting next to you. It's for me. To be able to come and... Be reminded about what life is all about. Oh, in a little bit, we'll rush off to the restaurants and we'll eat the food that sustains our bodies, but it's the communion that we have already shared here earlier that is meant to sustain our souls. I picture Jesus kind of clarifying things, taking advantage of a teaching moment in the room. He says, Martha, there's just one thing that you need to be concerned about. Can I simplify some things for you? You know, whenever I stop by, it's not for the food. If I wanted a five-star meal, I, I could make one. You know, just the other day, I, I took some loaves and some fish, and it was pretty amazing what happened. But I came by here just to be with you. I came here to be uplifted and to receive encouragement from your fellowship and it's what I think we all need to be reminded of. There's, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. Martha missed it, but Mary got it. And Jesus says, I'm not going to send Mary into the kitchen to do a dozen things that don't really matter in the big picture. And by affirming Mary's choice, Jesus invites Martha to sit down and to follow her sister's example. You know, our hearts yearn to find the antidote to this life that we live, to the hamster wheel that we're on. And the antidote isn't Work harder and get more done in the kitchen. Finish what you need to do quickly. It's not finish what's going on in the office or finish what's taking place online. The antidote is oftentimes leaving that stuff, sometimes actually undone, just so you can sit and have an unrushed conversation with Jesus. With Jesus. See, I think it's interesting that Luke places this story this snapshot of Jesus' life immediately after the parable of the Good Samaritan. On the heels of Jesus teaching about our active need to be involved in the lives of those who are around us, it then comes right after where he goes into this home and he says, listen, in all of your activity, don't lose sight of the relationship. Let's sit down and get caught up with each other. See, there's a reason that Scripture says we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It talks about there in Hebrews chapter 10 that we need to consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's about the relationship. It's about listening to God. It's about listening to one another. 
It's about becoming involved in one another's life, structuring our life so that we live for God and because of that we live in relationship with one another. So let me just ask you how you're doing with that. How you doing today? How depleted are you? Because none of us are our best when we're depleted, right? You know that. I mean, there are times when you're at your best. There are times when you are filled, where your soul is full. There are times where it seems as if all of your prayers go straight to the throne of God. And it seems like every song on your heart is one that comes out without any kind of thought. Where it seems like you're always ready for ministry. You're always active in the word. That you're always looking for more and more opportunities to shout the praises of God. To declare his wonders and goodness. And to be telling people, listen, I want you to know my Lord. That's when you're full. But you're not yourself when you're depleted. Kind of like this guy. Fourth down, coach. What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. I want you to go on the field. Look for anyone with an O. Let's kill them. With kindness. Jimmy, I want you to make balloon animals. Tyler, make little tea cozy. Something fun. Are you okay? <laughs> we will win this for Mother Russia. Coach, you just Snickers. Why is that you? You get a little loopy when you're hungry. Better. Better. Now let's go work! Yeah! Go get him, guys! You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Now, I don't know if you need a Snicker bar whenever you're hungry, but I do believe that you need some type of pick-me-up whenever you are depleted. And you know what this feels like, right? There is a resentment that begins to build up in you. You you perhaps, like Martha, say, Jesus, don't you care? You begin to actually question the concern that God has for his people. Don't, don't you care what's going on right now? My spouse is a deadbeat. My co-workers are irresponsible. The resentment just begins to build. And then you become irritated. You're easily annoyed. You snap at the kids. You lose your temper on the ball field or in traffic. And some of us were running on empty we withdraw, we become passive, we, we isolate ourselves, and we become loners. Some of us overeat, others of us overdrink, some overmedicate. And some of you guys, we just overwork. We get depleted, we become scattered, we lose our ability to focus. We jump from one distraction to the next. We confuse motion with progress and think, well, if our schedule is full, we must be doing something that's right. Some of us escape. We escape into movies, we escape into books, we escape into television. We waste hours trolling Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest, looking at other people's lives, saying, I wish I had theirs. I wish I had their filter. I wish my kids won that award. I wish I was on that trip. None of us are our best when we're depleted. And so Jesus comes and says, listen, I've, I'm here so that you can have life and have it to the full and because this is true and because God wants us to enjoy a full life, we must not feel guilty when we take time to do those things that refill and replenish our soul. When your tank is empty, you have nothing to offer anyone else. You can't be there for your wife, for your husband. You can't be there for your children. You can't throw yourself into ministry. Engaging in replenishment activities, it's not a form of selfish entertainment. Instead, it's a way, it's an end goal for you to live the life that God called you to live. 
So I want to encourage you to be unapologetic about it and prioritize those replenishing streams that are in your life because it's your responsibility to refill your spiritual bucket. It is not your boss's responsibility. It's not the board's. It's not your spouse's. It's not your church's responsibility. It's not your staff's responsibility. It's your own responsibility to keep your own bucket filled by identifying those streams that bring you life, that God breathes life into you with. And so here's just a few things to think about. Here's the first stream I think we need to have in our life. You need to connect with God. We've already had three different lessons that have focused on this particular principle. And if you're not in a daily habit of reaching for God's hand and listening for his agenda, then I want to offer you a challenge. 15 minutes. 15 minutes spending time listening in conversation to God. Just start there. Being connected with God for 15 minutes a day, reading his word, opening your life to him, listening for his whispers. When you're in that chair, in that study in your home, when you're sitting there on campus and you are underneath that tree, when you are just happen to take time at lunch to open up the word, it is those opportunities that secure your identity because you're reminded about who you are in Christ and how it doesn't matter what your boss thinks or what the co-workers are saying. It doesn't matter what's going on in the classroom. Your agenda becomes simplified and you're not tempted to run out and do all the other stuff that doesn't matter because you are listening to the one thing that matters most, the very voice of God. Secondly, surround yourself with family. Whether you're married or single, there is a family that, that gathers around you. People that God has brought into your sphere of influence and who you have been influenced by. These relationships are important replenishers. And I don't know, maybe it's time that you make amends with some family members to get your relationships back on track in order that they will be individuals who pour into you instead of draining from you. Third, how about enjoying your work? King Solomon said, Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 18, it is good and proper for people to find satisfaction in their labor. Life is short, and if your job is one that is just sucking the very essence out of you day after day, week after week, year after year, then can I encourage you to get on your knees and to be in prayer that, God, you either need to, you need to change my attitude about this job or help my job to change. Help me change departments or help me change employers or, or change careers. And I understand that this is a complicated subject. It is not at the time in today's economy to just run out and quit your job. And perhaps the job that would satisfy your soul the most doesn't bring in the amount of money that you need to stay afloat during this particular season in your life. But I would encourage you to prayerfully evaluate what truly matters. What are your needs versus your wants? And begin praying that God will lead you to a vocation that brings the provision you need and also fills your soul. And here's the final thing. Go play. Go play. It's okay to go and have a good time. Recreation means to recreate. Recreate energy and vitality in your inner person. What is it that God uses to fill you? 
Is it reading? Is it cooking? Is it golfing? Is it gardening? Is it, is it camping? What, what is it? Whatever it is, you need to find something that recreates your energy and vitality. And then you must instill it as a regular stream of, impl- of replenishment in your life. See, God uses so many things other than just this time of worship to restore our soul. We connect with Him in so many other avenues, in so many other areas, but it means that we have to desire to go on the journey. You see, we've got to acknowledge that this life that we are living might not be the one that God intended for us to have. God's interaction or intention for us is that we live a life that is filled with with energy and that our reserves are filled to the top. And it begins by discovering those things that truly matter. Jesus told Martha that her her basically her only hope, her only need, her only desire need to be to pull up a chair, unplug from the busyness and begin a conversation with the only one that could restore her frenetic heart and settle her spirit and get her headed back in her true north. I don't know, maybe the same is for you. Would an honest conversation with Jesus in an unrushed setting do you some good? Have you been told by your wife or by your husband recently, you're just acting different? You're not the same. Kids, have, have your parents come to you before and say, what's, what's up with the attitude? What's going on? Have you noticed that you just don't have the energy that you've had in the past? Is your desire for ministry not what it once was? When you hear that you have an opportunity to come and to worship, do you feel like you have to be dragged and pulled? Oh, there was a time. There was a time when you came up out of the water, similar to the water that we've got here. And you breathed in new life for the first time. And your life was new and there was energy and there was vitality and God was real and he heard your prayers and he put a song in your heart. But over time, there has been now a shadow that has come upon you. And oftentimes you've bought into the fact that, listen, there's a different kind of life and this is just how it's got to be. And I want to encourage you this morning that life and life as you have always desired for it to be, one with God and one with your fellow man is still here and God offers it to you. Do you need a little talk with Jesus? If so, we're going to sing a song that's called On Bended Knee, I believe, right? And maybe you just need to come and bow down before the throne of God and as a congregation we join you in prayer. We want you to know that if something is on your heart that you need to share and and you don't want to do that necessarily in front of this whole body, one of our elders will be in the prayer room that is located outside in our lobby. And if you would like to go and have a private moment there, you are welcome to do so and encouraged to do so. Life is available. It is here. Maybe we just need to simplify and come and sit and hear the voice of God and allow Him to speak life once again into our soul. If you need to come this morning, whatever the reason might be, we encourage you as we stand and sing.